Welcome to Factum Agri, dedicated to New Zealand's agriculture industry. Each week I talk with farmers and industry professionals to hear their stories and expert opinions on various industry related matters that are relevant to both our farming and our urban communities. Before we get into this week's episode, let's take a look at the beef and lamb market. There is plenty of feed in Southland and South Otago as we head deeper into spring. Recent rainfall coupled with good sunshine hours have sparked things into life. More rain is needed in Canterbury however to make a difference to grass growth in the region. With the current La Nina weather pattern prevailing and rain in the forecast for this weekend, hopefully the region gets decent accumulations over the next day or two. Humidity has been the defining weather feature in the North Island this past fortnight. And decent rainfall in the Waikato, Central North Island and the Manawatu has the grass humming along nicely. Little rainfall has been experienced in the Wairarapa, Hawke's Bay, Bay of Plenty and Northland. These areas are being watched closely as no significant rain between now and Christmas will put further pressure on farmers in these regions. North Island cattle slaughter prices have stabilised over the past couple of weeks. The same cannot be said for the South Island. We have seen prices fall by about 10 cents a kilogram across the board. Yearling cattle prices spiked in North Island sales last week. Buyers have been favouring older cattle for their short-term risk as these cattle can be quit easily or processed quickly compared with taking on a younger, lighter animal which takes a longer-term view and are typically expensive this time of year. That being said, as slaughter prices are pulled back, demand for quality traditional yearling cattle look increasingly attractive and that is what we're seeing in the market. The South Island store market is seeing less activity. While both islands are dry in places, the South requires more rain to stimulate buyer enthusiasm. With rain in the forecast, and if this materialises, we should see demand start to increase. Space is also limited at a processor level. If one can't finish or process stock, there is little opportunity to restock. Turning to lamb, chilled export orders for lamb are drying up and lamb slaughter prices have backed. In the North Island, lambs are now making around $7.10 per kilogram at the processors, and in the South, they are earning around $7 a kilogram. Supply is lifting, and space is filling up in the South Island. New season lamb sales are underway in both islands. In the North Island, the majority of new season lambs are being traded at Stortford Lodge and Fielding. Two weeks ago, 4,000 lambs were traded through Stortford, with sale prices pleasing sellers. 30 kilogram lambs in some cases were achieving $4.80 a kilogram. Values were back this week as 30 kilogram lambs selling in the Hawke's Bay averaged $3.92 a kilogram and a 24-25 kilogram lamb averaged $3.97 a kilogram. Fielding led the sales last week as 24 to 27 kilogram lambs averaged $4.04 per kilogram. In the South Island, values are not very inspiring with low weights and dry conditions as farmers are being forced to quit their lambs earlier than normal. The Ministry for Primary Industries plays a significant role in supporting the backbone of New Zealand's economy. And of course, one of the many roles they play is biosecurity. Their job is to protect our country by reducing risks. Biosecurity New Zealand's focus is on stopping pests and diseases at the border before they get to New Zealand and eradicating or managing the impact of those already here. This week on Factum Agri, Peter Thompson from MPI joins me on the show to discuss five significant biosecurity threats that are very much on the radar of MPI. 
Peter is the Director of Animal and Plant Health for Biosecurity New Zealand. Let's check in with Peter. Hello Peter, thank you for your time today. Hi, great to be here. Please can you tell me about the work that you do? Uh, so I'm part of Biosecurity New Zealand. Uh, so we are all about uh, keeping pests and diseases out of New Zealand or uh, helping to manage them uh, if they do arrive. Uh, my job is to set uh, the rules for any products that are coming into New Zealand to make sure that they don't uh, bring pests and diseases with them uh, and also to make sure that our products going out of the country meet the rules of the countries that we're exporting to. Today we're talking about five major biosecurity threats that have the potential to severely impact New Zealand and our primary sector. If we can start by talking about foot and mouth as we have seen how bad this disease played out in the United Kingdom, for example. So exactly what is this disease, Peter? And does it only affect cattle? Uh, so so your foot and mouth disease is um, you know, a really high-profile uh, disease. It's, it's, it's very significant in international um, trade. Uh, it, it's a virus, um, and it's a virus that... Uh, causes you know significant impacts uh, on the animals but also on the trade of countries um, it doesn't just affect cattle it affects uh, cattle uh, pigs sheep goats uh, and, and and a few other animals um, and so yeah it, it can cause significant problems uh, for for livestock what are the symptoms of foot and mouth and why is it a problem uh, so so the General symptoms would be um, uh, kind of, as the name suggests, uh, issues in the in the mouth and feet of animals, and and it causes uh, horrible blisters uh, inside the mouths and on the feet. Uh, it causes um, fever, you know, loss of appetite for um, dairy cows, you know, loss of milk production. Uh, so it, it's a disease that has a significant impact on the animals themselves. Um, but it's also one of those diseases that a lot of countries uh, want to keep out. And so um, it has a significant impact on trade. If, if we were to, to get it here in New Zealand, it, it, it could have really severe impacts on our trade and our meat and dairy products. So is it more of an animal welfare issue as opposed to a contamination of meat? Uh, well, it's, it's a combination, right? Um, it's definitely... Uh, you know, very uncomfortable. It has a significant impact on the health of the animals, uh, but yeah, it, it, it has a, a big impact on the on the products uh, that we trade in, uh, both those meat and dairy products. How prevalent in the world is this disease? Uh, so, so it's it's in parts of Asia. Uh, you know, some countries in Asia have it well established, and and some countries in Africa. There have been outbreaks in various other countries around the world uh, that have been able to be contained and eradicated. Uh, so, you know, it's not it's not hugely widespread, but um, uh, but it's very significant. And and when it does get get in, uh, countries go to great efforts to uh, to eradicate it. What would be the likely source of foot and mouth getting into New Zealand? Obviously, being a group of islands in the middle of the South Pacific helps in terms of a natural border. So what would need to happen for it to get in? Uh, well, I, I guess the first thing I'd say is that it um, would be highly unlikely to, to ever get here. Um, because it has such significant impacts, uh, we have very strict very strict rules uh, to make sure it doesn't get here and you know so uh, things like um, making sure that we're not importing uh, 
live animals or uh, meat products and that sort of thing from countries that that have uh, foot and mouth disease. Uh, we have rules around, um, you know, farm machinery and, and other equipment that could could carry the disease on it. So, um, you know, we've we've got very strict requirements. So it's very unlikely to get through. Um, you know, if if there was a way, you know, maybe it would be a, a passenger smuggling some meat through the border, um, and and somehow that getting fed to animals. Um, but you know, that's why we have such strict border controls for for passengers coming in. And mm. uh, uh, you know, you would have seen uh, on some of the TV programs all the bag searches that happen uh, to make sure that uh, people aren't. Uh, bringing that sort of material in. Just how devastating would this be to our farming communities? And of course, uh, all important dairy and meat exports. Yeah, um, so there have been a number of studies to examine um, exactly how severe it would be for New Zealand. And uh, in 2015, uh, there was an economic impact assessment that showed that the impact would be um, upwards of $16 billion impact for the country uh, over eight years, over an eight-year period, and um, you know it would be a major disruption to our trade. It would uh, take a huge effort uh, to try and eradicate something like that. If it if it took if it took hold, you know, um, we've got we've got very good surveillance systems here in New Zealand. Uh, you know, farmers uh, know what to look for. Veterinarians know what to look for, and they. You know, we've got uh, a network of veterinarians around the country that um, are very skilled and, and they're ready to um, respond at the drop of a hat. If anyone reports symptoms that are even close to foot and mouth disease, um, they can be there on farm in, in a matter of a couple of hours and uh, liaising back with MPI. Uh, um, you know, we have uh, really strong systems so that we know exactly uh, what needs to happen in the first, um, you know, 24, 48 hours, uh, first week. So, so you know, ideally, as long as farmers are vigilant, uh, we would get onto this really quickly, and the size of an outbreak would be kept um, kept minimal. Yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, no doubt, if 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 we did have a large outbreak, it would have a really significant impact. Mm. Which is which is going back to why we have such strong uh, uh, biosecurity rules to, to keep the to keep the disease out. The second threat I have on my list of note is brown marmorated stink bug. Where does this bug hail from and has it spread to many parts of the world? Uh, brown marmorated stink bug, that's a really high, pro- high profile one um, over the last few years. It originates in Asia uh, and, and has spread into USA uh, and Europe over recent years. Uh, it's currently, you know, making its way through countries in Europe, uh, you know, despite the, um, the efforts they're making to, to control it. Um, yeah, so that's, that, that's where it comes from. Quite a significant threat. What is the issue with this particular threat? Uh, so, so brown marmorated stink bug, uh, it's got a very wide host range. Yeah, so, so it affects a lot of different um, uh, fruits, uh, and what it does, it um, uh, basically feeds on the fruit and it causes damage to the surface and, and the underlying fruit. So, for example, if, uh, if you had um, an apple, you know, you'd see uh, a depression on the outside and then inside it looks like a, a bit of a horrible brown bruise and it's just spotted all over. So, 
but it affects a wide range of things like um, apples, pears, uh, grapes, peas, beans, tomatoes, nectarines, you know, lots and lots. Uh, but in addition to that, it, it's also quite a big public nuisance pest because over winter, um, you know, when it's really cold, it, it likes to um, uh, hibernate almost in, in sort of dark places. And so overseas, they've seen it um, you know, in thousands and thousands of stink bugs will invade a home. Uh, and, you know, um, you know the, as per the name, uh, mm. they're, they're really, really stinky and, and just cause a real problem for, for homeowners. Has this been caught at a border before? Uh, yes, we have picked it up at the border. We started seeing it um, just a few years ago coming in on uh, vehicles or containers and we picked it up uh, initially on some vehicles, um, some big trucks coming out of Europe. Um, but, you know, really grateful for uh, members of the public um, reporting it and we were able to get onto that quickly. So each year we, we pick up a few at the border and we'll also get a few reports um, from members of the public perhaps who have been overseas. Uh, they might find that um, it's got into their suitcase while they've been overseas and they open it up and they, they find one or two bugs there. So um, uh, we, we always respond to, to those to make sure that you know, there's not a big population that might establish. Somebody finding a bug in their bag are they simply just presenting their bag to MPI or border security and saying, hey, here's a bag, I'm not sure what it is, check it out. Is that essentially what happens? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we've got a, um, a really big uh, public communications campaign going on during the risk season for BMSB, which, is, which we're in right now, um, sort of from September through to April is the risk season in New Zealand. And um, yeah, all we want is for anybody who sees uh, a bug that, that looks a bit like brown marmorated stink bug uh, to, to call us, to, to use our hotline and call us and um, we'll have somebody come out and have a look at it and, and do a search to see if there's any other bugs around. And that's been really effective. Uh, we've, uh, you know, we've had um, really good response from the public reporting these things and, and that's that's what it takes to have a really great biosecurity system Every, everybody's got to play their part now there is one that i know has managed to get through the border which of course <laughs> is the, the queensland fruit fly do we know how this fly slipped the net uh look um we've got we've got really again really strong border controls uh on the commercial cargo pathways we you know we get a lot of fruit and vegetables from australia uh, and you know we're, we're confident that the incursions that we've had over the last few years haven't come through there. Uh, it, it seems that uh, it's coming through uh, some people uh, carrying fruit, perhaps um, you know yachties coming in uh, mm. from from Australia, yeah. uh, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, I mean the border's tight, but but it still relies on everybody doing the right thing. Uh, so, so yeah, we've, we, we have picked it up a few times um, and, and certainly the people in Auckland will be aware of the eradication programs that we've, we've run up there. And what's the current status? Have further flies been found in recent times? Uh, no, so, so we had the eradication program uh, last summer and, uh, you know, over winter these, these pests don't, don't do too much and so during the spring we've done more trapping and we've just recently 
uh, announced that uh, it's it is eradicated and and we've shut that program down. Uh, of course, we we do maintain a, a vast array of uh, fruit fly traps uh, that target um, you know dozens and dozens of different fruit flies, um, thousands of traps all around the country, uh, so that if you know, if there is a fly gets in, we can pick it up quickly. Mm. And, and the reason for that is is that, um, you know, again, it's uh, its impact on our agricultural sector, on, on our export earnings, um, you know, on, on people's home gardens uh, would, would be uh, really significant. Uh, you know, these economically damaging fruit flies are not things we want in New Zealand. Yeah, and, and just on that, I understand this fly does have a huge impact on, on fruit and vegetables. How does it have an impact, though? And, and why is this fly worse than flies we already have here in New Zealand? Hmm. Yeah, good question. Uh, so the, what the fly does, it, um, it lays its eggs just under the surface of the skin of a, of a fruit or vegetable. And, and then those eggs, um, you know, mature and turn into larvae or maggots <clears throat> and of course you know no one wants to uh, bite into fruit uh, that's that's got maggots do they yeah indeed uh, so mm. so that that's the impact really um mm. you know it, it it turns a really nice juicy piece of fruit into into something that nobody would want to want to eat mm. um and you know i guess how it's different from a bunch of the fruit flies we have here well, the ones we have in New Zealand, you know, they don't attack, um, you know, fresh fruit that's on on the vine. Most of the most of the uh, fruit flies we have here are, are very benign. Uh, you know, they they might infest, you know, fallen or overripe fruit. You know, you, sometimes just you see a, a fly buzzing around the fruit bowl if if you got some overripe bananas or something, but. Mm. Um, yeah, this ones like Queensland fruit fly, they're, they're you know another really a, another level up. They're, they're really significant. Mm. The trapping program are these traps checked on a daily or weekly or monthly basis? How does that side of it work? Yes, yeah, so it depends on the time of the year. Um, but uh, at the moment, I think they're, they're checked, e- checked either weekly or, or fortnightly. Mm. So you know we've got people out on the ground um, checking those all the time. Of course, the other thing we rely on is the public uh, doing mm. their part, um, uh, making sure they report anything that they think is, is suspect. Um, and of course, you know, as because it's such an important pest, um, we've got ongoing programs to um, to strengthen our systems. I've always struggled with mosquitoes, like most people. I understand the southern salt marsh mosquito is on your radar as well. Where does this pest come from? Uh, yes, yes. So the, the southern salt marsh mosquito—that's from Australia. Uh, we've had um, yeah a couple of in, uh, incursions there, and and major response programs uh, to to deal with that when it has arrived. Apart from the obvious pain and sleepless nights mosquitoes give to us already, what is the issue with the southern salt marsh mosquito? Uh, so southern salt marsh mosquito—it's it's known as quite a um, voracious daytime. Biter. You know, most mosquitoes will will be out there, you know, um, first thing in the morning or late at night. Mm. Uh, but this one during the day, and 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 the bites really are quite severe. You know, it's it's more than just a bit of an itch. Uh, but probably the, the main thing is that this mosquito uh, and a few other exotic mosquitoes 
are able to carry some quite serious human health diseases. Um, you know, so the southern salt marsh mosquito that that carries the um, Ross River virus. Okay. Uh, that you know that can be quite debilitating uh, if people get infected with it. I understand this mosquito, and you just touched on this, has previously been found in New Zealand. Again, do we know how this got through the border? Uh, look, for a lot of incursions, it, it's really difficult to know exactly how it came in. Um, mm. But, but you know, for mosquitoes, they'll generally come in um, in uh, standing or you know, standing water. So, so it might mm. be on on a boat if there's if there's some you know standing water there that a ski. Uh, that a mosquito has been able to lay lay something in, and then it comes across on the boat, or you know, imported um, tires or machinery. You know, if there's mm. if there's just a puddle, a puddle of water, it might come in that way. Mm. And you know, while we you know we do all the checks we can, but but we can never we can never get risk down to zero. Of course, and there has been a successful er- eradication plan for this mosquito, hasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was. Um, so we had we had an incursion uh, that started in the Hawke's Bay and, and then spread to a few parts of the country. And with with the Ministry of Health, um, uh, MPI uh, had a eradication program. Um, I think it, it took about ten years uh, to eradicate this, um, mm. and and quite a lot of money and effort. But mm. um, but but we were we were successful and. You know, and that's you know that effort's worth it because uh, we really don't want people having to to deal with these sorts of um, these sorts of pests or the diseases that come with them. Did anybody contract that disease? No, no, no. no. The, the mosquitoes that we had here, um, we were ninety nine percent confident that they didn't have the virus with them. Mm. Uh, but but you don't want it establishing. In case you know somebody did come into the country with the virus already, and a mosquito bites them, and then it can start to spread in that mosquito population. The last I have here on my list is the fall armyworm. Now, this seems to be one of our biggest potential threats, given it appears to be established in Australia. Where does this worm hail from? Uh, yes, so the the fall armyworm. Um, that is, it is another big threat that's been um, moving around the country. Uh, sorry, moving around the world uh, quite a bit lately. It's very high profile. Uh, is currently found in um, uh, parts of Africa and Asia, largely. Um, yeah, and it's it's been causing real havoc as it as it moves rapidly through these countries. So the issue, I assume, is the progression from worm to moth. What does the moth target? Well, so so the main issue is, um, you know, while it's in that in that caterpillar stage, the larval stage, it's um, you know a voracious eater, and it's just eating its way through um, through the crops that it, that it really um, likes. And so the main thing that it targets is um, maize crops, uh, you know, so yeah, maize corn. Um, but also a few other grasses and cereals. So it's got a it's got a more limited host range um, than some of these other pests that we've talked about. But mm. um, but yeah, it's it, it's just a, a voracious pest, and and it can wipe out uh, you know whole fields uh, of crops in, in a very short space of time. How big of a problem is this in Australia? 
well, it's, it's only recently arrived in Australia. Um, and you know, unfortunately, because it does uh, spread fairly quickly, um, Australia, uh, you know, after it was discovered, they, they quite quickly declared that they would not be able to eradicate it uh, because it was very widespread. Uh, it, I think we get to see um, what sort of impact it's going to have there. Um, you know, the fortunate thing for Australia is they've got a, a really well-organised biosecurity system uh, mm. like ours, and and you know they'll be right on to um, working out how to manage it uh, in any commercial um, areas, so that so that its impact is is the least it could possibly be. Peter, how has this established itself so quickly in Australia? Uh, look, I, I think it's just the nature of the pest, you know. Mm. It, it multiplies very rapidly. Um, it, it balloons. Uh, so, uh, so ballooning means um, you know, when the when the larvae or caterpillars are very small, um, they can put out sort of a silken thread and and get on the wind and just sort of sail uh, you know very long distances on the wind. And so, yeah, that's that, that that's sort of why it's why it's getting around quickly and establishing. Uh, quite fast mm. and what methods are being used in Australia to eradicate it uh, look I'm, I'm not a hundred percent across mm. all of that but um, you know I, I imagine they'll have uh, significant trapping programs and, and spraying programs and that sort of thing yeah are we actively doing anything here in New Zealand on farm and indeed at the border uh, so so we've had a had a really good look at the border controls that we've got in place and um, you know because because our biosecurity system isn't just focused on you know, the the sort of top five or ten or twenty pests um, it's it's really designed to keep a wide range of, of pests out um, and because of that when something new comes along uh, you know we we've got a level of protection already. So we've we've reviewed what we've got in place for the fall army worm, and and we're pretty satisfied that that the protections in place already are quite strong. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, um, you know, the the main thing we're doing is trying to raise awareness so that so that if it you know if it ever did manage to slip through, we'd get we'd get reports very quickly and be able to get in there and and, and stamp it out uh, before it could spread too far. Are we in any way complacent in our biosecurity, given New Zealand's isolation? And how do our methods and measures stack up against other nations? Mm. Well, so our, our isolation, our geographic isolation, um, really helps. Uh, but of course, in terms of trade and travel, well, maybe not so much travel at the moment, but, mm. but in terms of trade, you know, New Zealand's absolutely not isolated. You know, we, we, we receive... Uh, hundreds of thousands of containers uh, coming into New Zealand all the time, and so um, you know, with with the importance of our economy and our unique um, biodiversity that we have here in New Zealand, uh, you know, uh, we've got lots of culturally significant species as well. Uh, you know, we just can't afford to be complacent, and, mm-hmm. and so you know, I, I think people who have travelled. Um, out around the world, uh, you know, come back and, and tell us that um, you know, our, our biosecurity system is is as strong as anything you see anywhere. And mm. you know, the feedback I get from 
from uh, people in other countries that I deal with is, you know, our, our programs are really strong. Uh, you know, we're, we're really the envy of the world. I, I think uh, between Australia and New Zealand, uh, I, I don't think there are any other countries that, that would stack up with our systems. And, and it's just because uh, it's, we've got so much to protect. Thank you very much for your time today, Peter. Thank you to Peter Thompson for joining me on the show. Whilst our natural border and geographical isolation are important in managing biosecurity risks to New Zealand, our active trade and migration means that we need to be very vigilant. Peter mentioned that naturally MPI is and will continue to do everything they can in minimising risks at the border, but there is no such thing as zero risk, and this has been highlighted with various unwanted pests breaching the border. When you consider various border breaches over the years and the significant and successful eradication programs that follow, we do very well in my book. Peter said we all need to play our part in protecting our border. Whether you are a farmer or live in urban communities, we can all help to keep our country free of pests that have the potential to devastate industries within our primary industry, our native habitats and indeed our urban areas. If you notice anything that you may consider to be a biosecurity threat, don't hesitate. Call the Pest and Disease Hotline immediately on 0800 80 99 66. There is too much at stake not to. Thank you for listening and catch you next time on Factor Magri.